Hey y'all, welcome to Fast Facts for Gen Z. I'm your host, Callie, and I don't know anything about anything. Come with me on my exploration of the world, and I'll tell you everything you ever and never wanted to know through the eyes of Gen Z. Today's episode, some observations on the way power imbalances are ignored and how true progress is impossible without equity. As we navigate the world, we interact with a lot of different people in a lot of different positions of power or authority. Students go to school and interact with peers, older students, younger students, adults. Teachers go to school and interact with students, parents, administrators. Employees of any organization or company go to work and interact with managers, interns, customers, or clients. Sometimes your roles and the power in each role is clearly defined. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you're playing multiple roles at once and your actions are informed by the power dynamics between all of them. For example, I'm currently in a sort of student-teacher position at a preschool where I'm not really going to receive any formal training. I'm just there to support the teachers. I'm not sure where I stand with parents, assistant teachers really even the students, I'm playing multiple roles without those roles being clearly defined. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's both unavoidable and inconsequential most of the time, just part of the way our society is structured. There are situations, of course, in which people would like to avoid thinking about or acknowledging these power dynamics, even when they're very important. Think about your boss who just wants to be casual and fun with all the employees, or your cousin whose partner just got a much higher paying job while um, they're a student working entry level. Think about that professor who goes by their first name and explains how he's become disenchanted with the way that we evaluate and grade students, but you both know that he's going to have to grade you anyway. Think about a really positive, open discussion with a person in power, maybe a politician or a high-level college administrator, about problems that you see and ways to fix it, and knowing that when you both walk away, you'll return to your problem, and they'll return to their bureaucracy, and nothing will come of it, probably. Is that too pessimistic? I'm sorry, that's unlike me. That's what the podcast is for. Call it like you see it, and maybe we can make some change. I've thought about this before, but I've been thinking about it more recently because of a conversation a group of students had recently with the provost and staff at the work office at my college. The broad topic of our discussion was labor, specifically the ways we value and reward different kinds of labor. I wish I could remember what it was that set my mind in motion. I think we were talking about the possibility of a four-day work week. And something came up uh, where someone commented, hey, we've got the provost here, make it happen. And he agreed enthusiastically. And we all sort of laughed about it. We were like, yeah, yeah. And in my head, I saw visions of students going home excited about working and talking to faculty and making change. And the provost going home to chuckle and think things like, I wish I could change it, that's just the way things are. Oh, those students. 
I spoke up, said something along the lines of, hey, he's joking, but like, we should actually do that. But I think it got lost in the jumble of noise, which is okay. I have a habit of taking really small ideas and running with them, which is probably why I can't exactly remember what this conversation was about. But what sticks with me is how quickly I determined that the enthusiasm of the people in charge was false. This isn't to say that they were lying, because I have no real idea. I just mean that in that moment, I judged their tone and demeanor as joking, not serious. I've seen this happen a lot, or at least that's what I think I've seen. People, especially students and young people, do strong advocacy, call attention to problems, and successfully get people to listen and talk to them, but from there it stops. I remember thinking about this and thinking about uh, Greta Thunberg as an example, other young climate activists. Um, a, well, it's because we can have all the conversations in the world, but when it comes down to it, the people in power tend to listen to and work with other people in power, not anybody else. A student can call attention to a huge problem, have conversations with related authorities, come up with a plan to fix it, but we're not included in the follow through. And maybe there is a follow-through. Maybe things do change. Maybe progress happens. But change takes time. And the state of being a student is inherently transient. So if there's change and progress without involvement and communication with the community, how is anybody supposed to know? I've seen schools and organizations make announcements of new programs and changes without acknowledging the students and other contributors who made it happen, which makes it incredibly hard to trust that they're actually taking input, not just inspiration from students. This goes for organizations with people of color and disabled people and LGBTQ people as well. When you're making change, take input, not just inspiration, from the people who called change to begin with. My college, in particular, talks a big game. It's a great marketer, but in the words of a peer, uh, quote, this school ain't shit, specifically in regards to racial justice. They keep up appearances, but it is not a place, a pleasant place to be if you are not white. Why would it be? The administration of the school is majority white and equity is threatening to them. Diversity is not, or at least diversity in air quotes. They can hire one or two people of color, they don't treat them fairly or equitably. Those people quit or stay quiet. The white administration's power is preserved. True equity is a threat to their power. So they have no motivation to move towards it. That's white supremacy's biggest tool, isn't it? Make racial justice inconvenient, and it'll never happen. It's convenient for my professor to add readings about critical race psychology to my psych homework, but it's inconvenient to analyze the rest of our content and address the racism within it. It's convenient to talk about how psychological experiments have mostly only tested wealthy white men and then had their results generalized to everybody else, but it's inconvenient to talk about how Abraham Maslow plagiarized his famous hierarchy of needs from the Blackfoot nation and flipped it upside down to fit European individualism. Because it's convenient to add new things and inconvenient to change old things. The biggest problem I see here 
is that all the people who want to do the hard work and change the old things and add new things are the people without the power to make it happen. That power balance, or power imbalance, isn't inevitable. I use educational settings in all my examples because that's the world I live in, so bear with me, but you can generalize these concepts to other organizations or entire societies where some people have less power than others, which is all of them. Students don't have power in academic institutions, but they could. Student governments could be allowed to send representatives to administrative meetings. Uh, Student labor unions could be supported and listened to. After a major declaration, students could have input on the planning, hiring, academic fieldwork requirements of their department, undo the hierarchy, uplift the downtrodden, practice equity. Hierarchy. I just finished a series of books by Octavia E. Butler, the science fiction slash Afrofuturism author, in which the hierarchical behavior of humans was one of the central conflicts. She called it the human contradiction. We are immensely intelligent, and we waste that intelligence fighting over places in artificial hierarchies. We couldn't work in communities for the benefit of our species if our lives depended on it. Now, I think that's a fatalistic perspective, but it was a series of novels. It had to be fatalistic to be a compelling narrative. Um, But I think there are elements of truth to it, or elements of honest observation. Societies without leaders are nearly unheard of. Societies with leaders are full of conflict about that hierarchy. Caste systems, new and old, inequality and class distinctions are nearly everywhere. They weren't always. Many of the indigenous societies in North America had leaders, but not the same social hierarchies. They had some, of course, they're human. But only thinking about modern societies, I could be wrong. But I can't actually put my finger on one that truly prioritizes socioeconomic and legal equality. It's like we don't trust each other, or at least we don't trust each other enough to live in communities. We see climbing social hierarchies as self-preserving behavior. We see helping others as an unnecessary kindness, not as an obligation to the health of our community. Which is why I think our communities in America are so unhealthy. We are sick with hatred and with narcissism, which all too often are the same thing. The upside to all of this is that contradictory as humans may be, we're also optimistic to the end. At various times, I may feel despair about the inequalities and injustices and power struggles that make up my society, but despair is not a motivating emotion. Despair does not cause action. Anger and hope and ambition and confidence and optimism are motivating, do cause action. There are students stepping up and demanding power and change the Black Student Union, the Indigenous Student Association, the Latinx Student Collective, supported by white students in Surge, standing up for racial justice, whose goal is to deconstruct their own whiteness, use their privilege to spread the word about events held by other clubs, and advocate to faculty using voices that aren't historically silenced. They won't do any good until the administration decides to step back from its bureaucracy and actually listen. But we're making progress in that direction. 
true progress is impossible while there are still so many people who lack power and voice. But if we can get more people, more opportunities to speak and act, then we will be heading in the right direction. Thank you for listening to Fast Facts for Gen Z. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen so you never miss a new episode. And you can follow me on Twitter at FastFactsPod for various updates. Transcripts of every episode are available at www.fastfactsforgenz.wordpress.com. This is Callie, signing off.